Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked On Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, alongside the founder of BrewHoop.com and longtime voice of the podcast, Frank Madden. And cancel the parade for now, anyway, for today. Yesterday, I got a little bit carried away with the scrimmage play. Bucks go down to the Pelicans, 124 to 103. So, uh, despite scrimmage play, we haven't seen the Bucks lose games by, by that amount for a while. And it all happened in the third quarter, Frank. Things really got a little bit ugly, particularly towards the end of the third quarter. The Bucks actually led 79-72 to 72 with 2 minutes and 54 seconds left in the quarter. The Pelicans went on an 18-2 to two run in just under three minutes of play. Uh, that ultimately decided the game, but uh, scrimmage play is done. And the Bucks, next time they play, will count on the standings. Yeah, I think that game... Um... You know, I don't. I don't think we're going to be clamoring for more scrimmage games after <laughs> watching that. Um, I mean, on the one hand, you know, Giannis and Chris got stretched out a little bit minutes wise. Yeah, I think mean, Chris played twenty six, Giannis twenty three, thirty points, thirty points in twenty three minutes for Giannis. Did, didn't even really look particularly sharp, um, but hit a couple threes, uh, twelve out of fifteen from the line. So obviously, we're happy about that. His free throw shooting coming along pretty well here these last two games, um, and you know, had some nice finishes, but. Not not exactly not exactly apex Giannis uh, from from him tonight even with the crazy per minute scoring that he that he did put up but um, yeah I, I mean uh, we were joking right before the podcast this was uh, this was the game where I uh, really missed Eric Bledsoe because we saw uh, George Hill continues to not be able to make anything uh, well not literally he was one out of seven he had a mid range jumper tonight. Uh, we saw him start. Churchill did start the second half, which we've seen a couple times now. Dante obviously has been the starter in the first quarters, uh, and we got a very—I <laughs> was about to say—we got a healthy dose of point Sterling Brown, but I would say it was actually an unhealthy dose of point Sterling Brown. Um, I, I don't foresee that being a, uh, a role for Sterling in the NBA, as uh, it got very ugly with uh, the lineups the Bucks made. But look, I mean, Giannis and Chris were playing for much of that second half. So it's not like, you know, this was the uh, garbage time unit blowing the lead or something for the Bucks. Um, I thought they gave up a lot of really open threes in the first half and Pelicans just missed a bunch. And in the second half, we saw New Orleans start to make a lot of threes and Bucks could not uh, help themselves from fouling. And uh, I mean, they just got soundly outplayed in the second half. They just kind of looked like a team that didn't really know how to really get back in their groove and, especially when New Orleans was hitting shots. They obviously couldn't run off the makes the way that they like to, to push the ball off of rebounds. And, uh, you know, they just weren't impressive tonight for the most part, especially uh, obviously in that second half. Yeah, just a quick note on Giannis's shooting because I, I don't think from this game there's all that much to talk about from him. I mean, it's kind of weird to say the 30 points, eight rebounds in 23 minutes. I mean, Jesus Christ, like that's a, just, it's a pretty damn impressive line. The one thing I will say, you touched on the free throw shooting, uh, 82% on, on 28 attempts the last two games. That's certainly a positive. 
uh, we'll hopefully see that as a trend that continues. Also, two for three from three. So, uh, you know, his three-point shot over the last couple of games just looked a little wild at times. I think we can say that. Uh, even the miss tonight wasn't too bad. So it was good to see him dial in there and he hit a nice turnaround as well. So Giannis scoring in, in different ways tonight than what we've seen uh, in the first two games, even though uh, he still scored the 30 points. He's, he clearly looks in, in pretty good shape. Uh, coming in. Redick, uh, JJ Redick was the guy that they really cut them to pieces. You talk about the Pelicans uh, having the ability to knock down those threes in the second half. Well, Redick was a huge part of that. He finished with 20 points on the night. All 20 of those points came in the third quarter. He was 100% from the field, four for four from three, and six for six from the free throw line in the third, including a four point play, which at that point he was just in the zone. I mean, he, you didn't think he was going to miss anything as Robin Lopez uh, fouled him as he got that shot up. Dante DiVincenzo had the assignment for a lot of the night guarding JJ Redick, and it was probably a little bit of a lesson about defending a guy like that who's always on the move, ability to shoot off the dribble, on the catch, uh, and just get red hot like that. It's probably not the worst thing for Dante to do that. I, I think when we think about the impact that he's had defensively, it's always with the deflections, with the steals, with the... Um, you know, the, the, almost the erratic movements of him and able to jump passing lanes. Uh, this in a one-on-one assignment. Um, a little bit of a lesson there for him. Uh, but, you know, not, as I said, not the worst thing for him to sort of go through and see that up close. Yeah, I mean, I almost tweeted in the first half that, you know, I, this is the first time I'd ever seen J.J. Redick miss a shot against the Bucks because <laughs> it kind of felt like he always makes really difficult shots against everybody. But, um, I mean, he missed his first shot off the side of the backboard. Yeah. I mean, you know, and then he missed a couple of open shots after that too. I mean, th- this was definitely not vintage uh, J.J. Redick in the first half. But as you said, um, you know, good shooters have, have very short memories. And, and that was certainly the case there in that second half as he just kind of went off um, and the Bucks really didn't have much to say about it. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, I, I think overall um, – you know, just just kind of a sloppy game in many respects for the Bucks. Twenty-one turnovers. You know, Corver has four turnovers. Like, how does Kyle Corver end up with four yeah. turnovers? Like, he's, he barely triples, right? Like, how, how do you get that many turnovers? Chris, six turnovers. Obviously, that's um, you know, he got to the rim a bit, but then also, um, you know, we got stripped a bunch of times. Uh, Giannis, three turnovers. Not really much to, to speak of there, but um, you know, net net, a, a very sloppy night for the Bucks with the ball. Uh, and you know, 10 out of 38 from three, they, at one point they were 10 out of 30. So they missed their last eight, uh, at least. Uh, so obviously not a great shooting night for the bucks. And, um, on the other side, again, uh, you know, new Orleans, 17 out of 47, 36%, you know, that's not like a terrific percentage or anything, but again, the bucks, I think just gave up a lot of good looks and, you know, you give up, you give team that many opportunities, you know, odds are they're going to make some at some point. And, and that's what we saw in the second half. So, uh, you know, again, you don't really, I don't think there's a lot to be drawn from, you know, these scrimmages so much as, um, you know, the, to the extent, obviously they're going to remind us of, of maybe some things that, that, uh, you expect to see. And, you know, if you expect to see the Bucks lose, it's probably going to be because they're a bit sloppy they miss shots. And then defensively, you know, the other team, they give up a lot of three point looks and the other team makes uh, a decent chunk of those three point looks. Um, and you know, even though it, it felt like the, I don't know what the numbers were in the second half. I felt like the Pelicans got a ton of stuff going to the line in the second half and they finished 23 out of 29. So, I mean, they were actually minus six in terms of made free throws relative to the bucks were 29 out of 38. So, you know, it's not like the bucks got killed there, but obviously we know the bucks 
typically do a really nice job of, of limiting opponent free throws and then taking away kind of those, those easy baskets. So, uh, you know, again, there's not a whole lot to, to do with a game like this tonight, uh, other than, you know, you obviously put in the context of what it is, which is a, a scrimmage and, um, you know, you got up some Giannis and Chris, maybe stretch them out a little bit from like a physical fitness standpoint, didn't ever seem like they were, you know, laboring out there or anything like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, again, I think now it's just moving on to the regular season and kind of seeing, uh, hopefully you, you play as, as you did in the, in the regular season before all this uh, happened with the suspension. And, um, you know, did we learn a lot from the, those, these scrimmages? I don't think so. You know, I think when the Bucks won, they won the way that they usually won. And when they lost, well, they lost the game the way, uh, the way that we might expect them to lose the game. So hopefully, uh, the former, uh, dramatically outweighs the latter moving forward. Yeah, it was certainly the most, uh, I don't know if frustrated is the right word. I, I, that sounds like that might be a little bit too extreme uh, in describing Bud's mood post-game. But he certainly looked like a little bit frustrated. We haven't seen him uh, in, in that type of mood probably since the Bucks have come back. I asked him about the defense in particular, and he said, listen, it was not good. From late in the second quarter through the second half, he wasn't pleased. He said there's plenty to work on there. I'm glad you mentioned the turnovers because to me, Chris Middleton, particularly in the third quarter, got really, really sloppy. And it was funny because I was actually about to, uh, he had a nice assist there at one point. And I was almost about to send the tweet to say how in control he's been uh, since coming down to Disney. And then it felt like he had three or four turnovers in, in quick succession. He sort of lost control uh, a little bit there. But as far as the minutes go, you pointed to it. 26 for Chris, 23 for Giannis. Uh, Giannis came back in in the fourth quarter. It was kind of curious because... Uh, at that point, the Pelicans were going basically with their bench unit. We know the result of the game doesn't really matter, but Bud has been talking throughout the last week or so about having a plan with these guys when it comes to their minutes load and what they want to play them game by game. I mean, they had this set out uh, a week ago when we sort of hypothesized, me and you, were talking about, oh, maybe Giannis won't play in a game, and we certainly highlighted the Kings game. Uh, Bud kind of wiped that away early in the piece. He said, no, no, he's going to play every game. One game he'll play less. Uh, the third game we're, we're thinking he'll play a little bit more, and it was certainly the case. But I asked him about how he wrestles with that idea in his head that, okay, the, you're losing. When the result of the game actually doesn't matter so much anyway. What do you gain from putting Giannis out on the floor here? And is it worth the risk? Or do you just stick to the plan? What do you do? And he was like, yeah. He's like, I mean, I thought about that. He's like, I mean, the plan was to play him more in the fourth quarter but just with the game situation it seemed like uh, it was an unnecessary risk to do so so they pulled him out so uh, I think they would have liked to see him get up to 26 27 28 minutes tonight if possible but uh, like we spoke about on the last podcast Frank there's going to be games that are going to determine the risk and and what length you want to play these games uh, these guys into uh, keeping in mind that there's still eight regular season games to get them into shape so Hopefully, you know, he's playing more than this as these games wear on. But at the same time, I, I think you need to take the risk versus reward into account when, when looking at the game situation. Yeah, I mean, if Giannis, I mean, even if he just turns an ankle, but I mean, yeah. if he suffers any injury in the fourth quarter of a, a scrimmage, right, everybody would just be up in arms. But, um, you know, it's, it's I, I the exact same thought. I mean, I think that's purely a function of them trying to get him stretched out a little bit just from a conditioning standpoint. Um, and again, I mean, you can do that a little bit in practice, um, and nobody really knows cause nobody watches the practices per se, but, 
Um, but in a game, obviously it's, it's just a bit more obvious, but, but yeah, I mean, it, it, and it just, it's kind of funny. I mean, you know, again, this is a scrimmage. It didn't mean anything. I think probably the Bucks were looking ahead to obviously the first regular season game next week, um, or this week. Uh, but, uh, it, it's kind of funny. It's, it, it, there is sort of that sense sometimes, um, with the Bucks, uh, and I, I think back to games like the, the home Denver loss, um, or the Dallas loss at home. And, and it's kind of funny. It sometimes it does feel like when the Bucks would get down in fourth quarters, like it, it, it's so rare um, that they would be in those positions. It just, it just felt like kind of an unfamiliar thing. And they just sort of, I don't know. I, I think that's one of those situations that's going to be interesting in the playoffs. You know, are they less, are they less likely to be able to kind of come back in situations where they're down because they just never have to deal with that, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, you think back and it's kind of interesting. You think back to like the, uh, the warriors, like the great warrior teams, you know, they were sort of notorious for like first half, like slow starts and being down like 15 at half and then just coming out and blowing the doors off teams in the third quarter. Um, and this Bucks team is much more kind of, re- you know, regulated, I would say like, they don't really, they don't get down big. I mean, they, they, they definitely, we saw them, they can definitely, trail by double digits in the first half and just come back and it's not a big deal. But, um, but I think it's an interesting thing. I, I don't know. I, I remember having a little bit of discussion at some point, like maybe in February about, you know, do the, have the Bucks had any games where like they're down, you know, 10 in the fourth quarter and they come back and win. And I don't, I, I offhand, I don't, at the time I didn't recall them really having a game like that this season, any really memorable comeback wins that were, where they were down, you know, actually deeper and deeper into the second half. Um, and it does seem like when they got in that situation in the regular season, like it was almost like, oh, geez, oh, okay. And kind of they would press, and and, and I don't know. It, that's obviously just one of those, you know, again, this is sort of like the – I feel like it's a, it's very much a nitpicky type thing about a team that just dominated the way the Bucks did. They obviously just haven't had to do that <laughs> very much because they just didn't put themselves in those positions. Um, but that's maybe the only, you know, if you're concerned trolling, that's – one of the few downsides you might see is just, yeah, I mean, when they kind of get down, then they just, you know, don't necessarily have that same familiarity with kind of clawing their way back in now. And again, I'm not saying, Oh, that's why they lost this game. Cause like they got down on themselves in a, in a scrimmage. Like I think they were mostly like disinterested, especially watching Sterling Brown struggle to bring the ball past half court. <laughs> um, but you know, it does it just trying to think through like, okay, well I'm trying to remember <laughs> think back to this team when the games actually did matter. And that is kind of one of those one of those things that you know at some point, obviously in the playoffs, you're going to be down in fourth quarters, and um, you know some teams just have a lot more experience having to come back from those situations than others. And um, it was interesting hearing uh, Jim Pashkins or Stevenson on the broadcast mention. Um, I think I forget if it was Jim or who, who mentioned it, but the idea that you know if you're down, you know, and you're at home, for instance. Uh, you can rely on that crowd to sort of energize you a little bit. And I mean, that's the flip side here. I mean, granted, you know, there's no true road games, um, but there's also no true home games either. You can't really feed off of the crowd in the same way that you might, you know, trying to make a comeback uh, in, in a regular, you know, regular game scenario. Right. And, and as I'm saying that, like, I think back to that game two years ago uh, with a, the elimination game against the Raptors, hmm. um, uh, in Milwaukee where Jason Terry, you know, there's that huge comeback. Jason Terry hits that three uh, and, uh, and they, you know, ultimately, or sorry, three, three years ago, um, two years ago, it was obviously Celtics when they lost, but, but three years ago when, when Jet hits that three to kind of bring them all the way back 
uh, when they were down huge in that game at home and like, you know, the crowd's just like deafening. Right. I mean, there's not going to be anything like that in, in these, in these playoffs. Uh, and so it's one of those interesting dynamics that, um, you know, you're also not going to get, uh, have to face that on the flip side from the other team. Um, but you're going to, you're going to need a, a loud and boisterous bench, uh, if you're going to try to draw some energy from the building, because obviously it's just not going to be there with the crowd not, not being a part of it. Esan Eliasova said something interesting after the game related to that. Uh, I asked him about the officiating because it certainly seemed that there was a little bit of frustration from the Bucks side of things and also Bud uh, today. So I just said from a player's point of view, uh, we always talk about adjustments on the court and, and things you're doing uh, yourself and within your team. But what adjustment do you have to make to the officiating? And, and how do you get adjusted to the way they're calling games and some of the, the rules that they're going to emphasize? We know that that... Uh, particular uh, fouls that uh, officials within games will be certainly zeroed in on. And he said, yeah, it's, uh, it is difficult. And then he sort of trailed off and he was talking about the officiating and said it can be a little bit frustrating. And then sort of somehow he ended up over at this point in his answer saying, you know, and when you're losing and you're sending them to the foul line a lot and there's, there's no crowd there, there's no fans, so motivation can be a little bit difficult. And I was like, oh, it's interesting because it reminded me of the conversation that Jim and Sora had. So I think there's, there's certainly something there. But I wanted to talk about the Ursinator because he is literally the Terminator. You can never get rid of him. I mean, we've spoke about uh, Marvin Williams and, and the fact that he's in the rotation. And, and he sort of pushed Ursine out before the season went down. Uh, Marvin Williams didn't play in this game. Fingers crossed. Uh, nothing too serious. A little bit of groin soreness for him. Certainly no point in taking any risks there. And here we are. Ursine, double-double, 12 points, 10 rebounds. He's in everything, doing all the things that we're used to seeing from Ersan, fadeaway jump shots, tip-ins, uh, just just the, all the usual tricks uh, from him. Uh, he's, he's just always going to be there. I, I feel like Ersan's going to be in the Bucks rotation in 2035 or something like that. It, it was kind of funny. I think there were multiple stints that he had on the floor, and every time I'd looked where he was defensively, he was either matched up with Josh Hart or Brandon Ingram, which, of course, is like never <laughs> yeah. you know, matchups that you would ever want to put, you know, however old he is, um, Ersan Eliasova out there against. Um, but, you know, he's just kind of one of those guys, like he never seems to get obliterated quite as badly <laughs> as you'd expect. Or as what it looks. Like, I think it's all perception with him. Like it looks, sometimes it looks so weird and awkward that everyone just assumes that he's really bad. But I mean, he's still an effective player. He's not Marvin Williams defensively and in those matchups for sure, but it's not like he's a complete disaster. No, I mean, he's smart enough that, you know, he can kind of uh, compensate largely for, you know, his, his shortcomings. Um, so it, it's, it's, I mean, it'll be interesting. I think obviously we're sort of in that camp of people who, you know, view Marvin as, as a safer option, uh, especially defensively for kind of obvious reasons. But um, yeah, I mean, our son's just kind of, like you said, he's the rescue <laughs> of, uh, of, of the Milwaukee Bucks. Like you just can't bury him. You know, he's, he's, he, he was here, you know, when, when he first was drafted. He goes uh, to Europe for a few years. He comes back. He has his nice little streak. Then he leaves. Then he comes back. And, you know, now we thought he was vanquished from the rotation with Marvin Williams seemingly kind of stealing his minutes. And, you know, again, do, do we really think that, you know, he's going to just ride the bench all the playoffs? Like, no. Like, you expect that at some point we're going to see uh, a, a dose of, of our son and obviously, hopefully, 
hopefully we get FIBA Ursan for, for that, right? Uh, the, <laughs> the, the, the calendar will be in that FIBA range, you know, like we're going to get to like September, uh, September, well, September, yeah, like August, September, like that's like FIBA, FIBA yeah. World Cup sort of time window, Olympic time window typically. So hopefully we get the, you know, FIBA Ursan during those warm weather months that, uh, that uh, we've seen internationally. And uh, sometimes he shows up, you know, for, he shows up for periods and then he disappears for periods. You know, he sees his own shadow and then he goes back into his, you know, FIBA Ursan cave or whatever. So uh, I, I don't know. I've been a very, I'd say very mixed bag for Ursan so far in the scrimmages. He did have 12 and 10 tonight um, with, with Marvin out. Obviously they relied on him a little bit more, but um, yeah, he's just sort of always there. And um, I don't know. I, I would say, you know, if we're talking about, um, again, I think we would, we would agree, obviously for the most part, it's not like there were major, rotation battles that were being played out during these scrimmages or anything like that. But, um, you know, I think we mentioned Marvin, obviously a guy probably, you know, benefited more from scrimmages just because he's getting some reps that he obviously hadn't had with the bucks, uh, during the regular season coming over so late. Uh, and then, you know, DJ and Sterling, I think sort of are perpetually the two guys that we've been sort of wondering, like, is there any way for them to kind of break through? Uh, certainly Marvin arriving, I think kind of, you know, put the, uh, put the final touches on DJ having any role this year. Um, I don't think, you know, we saw, <laughs> I don't think we saw some, some huge case made by him during these scrimmages that, that he needs to be uh, out there uh, again, just, you know, especially offensively, it, it just always looks like garbage time when he's out there. It's like, he's just sort of trying to get some shots up uh, and defensively. I mean, look, he's obviously very versatile, but you know, is he a game changer and, and demanding minutes? No, especially not with, you know, Marvin being able to kind of do, the same stuff and probably, you know, a bit better, a bit steadier, uh, as a veteran. So yeah, DJ, uh, I, I, well, I'm guessing we'll see him at some point here during these seating games because the bucks aren't going to need to kind of go all out in that period, but I'm not sure we're going to see a whole lot of DJ and, uh, and then Sterling, you know, had some moments, uh, tonight. I mean, he had that four point play. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't really know what to do with Sterling. I mean, I, I let me say this. I, I would feel much better if you told me that the Bucks did not need, would not, were not going to need Sterling at any point during the playoffs. Um, Cause I just, I don't know. I just haven't seen enough from him, especially offensively. Um, just, uh, just with the ball in his hands, that just, we just have not seen much progression in the way of, you know, him being able to be kind of that secondary or third, <laughs> third, fourth, uh, creator when in the rare times that he kind of gets like a pick and roll look something like that and he had one play where he actually made a good decision in pick and roll tonight I was thinking of uh, uh, my friend Steve Van Horn and <laughs> Steve releasing the doves to celebrate uh, Sterling Brown making a good decision uh, in pick and roll but uh, but yeah I would say Sterling Brown has just sort of looked like more of 1920 Sterling Brown which obviously has generally you know not been been the kind of the kind of player that that has uh you know, given Bud a lot to think about, you know, unfortunately, uh, just kind of a, a disappointing season for Sterling and certainly the scrimmages have not suggested that he's made any type of breakthrough, which again, is not necessarily something you would expect, obviously coming back from the break, but um, he obviously was a guy who is not, you did not expect him to get a lot of opportunity here over the next few weeks. And, and so any chance he got, um, you know, it was going to be a little bit of pressure on him to try to prove something, uh, not just to get minutes, uh, at any point this season, but you know, again, as a restricted free agent, obviously, I don't, I just don't know that the Bucks are looking at Sterling and what he's bringing and feeling like, oh yeah, 
we got to bring him back, right? Unfortunately, it's just, um, he just hasn't really kind of stood, stood out. And obviously, Pat Connaughton and Bledsoe, hopefully they're both back soon, and especially Pat, who obviously is a guy that uh, his consistency um, has obviously meant uh, much less of a role for, uh, for Sterling this year than probably he would have liked. Yeah, I think that's the best way to wrap this up. Uh, you mentioned both those guys and led with Bledsoe off the top. I think, you know, when you see an extended period and some different guys playing that, uh, you know, nominal point guard position and that lead role and offense initiator, I, I think you get a sense for how much this team misses Eric Bledsoe without him. And, and not so much in a scrimmage game today where things are a little bit scrappy and not everything's perfect just yet. But against a real team, you're going to want Eric Bledsoe there. So to see Pat Connaughton on the bench today as well, uh, celebrating uh, some shots that went in was was really fun to see. The Bucks have three whole days and a couple of practices uh, before that game on Friday. So this is not confirmed. This is me completely uh, just guessing here. But I would assume that Eric Bledsoe in particular, who's had a few practices since getting uh, since entering the bubble on Friday, uh, it would be my bet that he's going to, to play in this game against Boston. And uh, count me in as someone who's excited to see him play in and rejoin that starting lineup. It's, you know, Dante's been fine, but I think we, uh, we all feel a little more comfortable, a little better about this team when Eric Bledsoe's there running the offense. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I think we talked about last time, you know, just uh, some of the numbers around Dante, uh, especially offensively when, when he's been in there as a point guard and some of the, obviously, his continuing limitations thereof. And, and again, the Bucks are uniquely qualified to be able to, I think, paper over, you know, not having a, a lead ball handler like Bledsoe out there just because of, obviously, Giannis and Chris and just the type of offense they run as well. Obviously, it's not like a, an offense built around the point guard running pick and roll or something like that. But uh, I think then you do see games like tonight where, you know, it's, it's pretty apparent the lack of shot creation from the point guard spot, you know, was a problem, right? And, you know, we saw long periods where Giannis was kind of initiating because they didn't really have much else to go off of. Uh, and obviously, you know, that's a pretty good option, putting the ball in the MVP's hands. But I think, again, <laughs> you, you need a little bit more creativity than, than trying to just have Giannis create from the top play after play after play. And I think so, obviously, you know, Bled is a guy that, that you're going to want back soon. And not just Bled, but also a version of George Hill that can actually make a jump shot would also be, be a nice thing to add. Because certainly, uh, you know, those two guys obviously have been crucial all year as your, as your top two uh, ball handlers, uh, or at least, you know, nominal point guard type guys. So, uh, yeah, I mean, this, you know, I think, and this is the sort of the situation as well. I mean, you know, dialing back way back, right, to, to Malcolm Brogdon, the thing, obviously, um, you know, last, last playoffs, you felt like at times, you know, the lack of, um, you know, creation from ball handlers, right? Bledsoe struggles. Um, you know, you Brogdon and Middleton, I mean, all, none of them were great against the Raptors. Obviously Giannis even had his struggles there. Um, and, and, uh, you know, these scrimmages, obviously we've seen that at, at times as well, just a lack of, you know, top shelf creation from the Bucks, given you know, who they've been running at, at point guard. So, uh, yeah, hopefully Bledsoe is back and hopefully also Bledsoe is, you know, I mean, that, that's probably the, the, you know, he's a guy I think we'll probably watch closely during the seeding games, just obviously coming off of uh, the illness that he had, just hopefully seeing him have his fitness back, hopefully getting his sharpness back by the time the playoffs roll around. And um, obviously then the, the usual questions will, uh, will need to be answered with Eric Bledsoe and, you know, can he rise to the occasion in the playoffs? Cause obviously if he, if he can't um, then, you know, uh, yeah, you're going to need George Hill to go back to, 
making shots again and you're going to need other guys to step up in, in ways that, um, you know, maybe you, you wouldn't have needed quite so much last year when you had Brogdon around. But uh, again, you know, Bucks play the way they can play. You feel pretty good about themselves. But, um, you know, obviously so much of the playoffs is sort of planning for those times, you know, whether it's uh, brief stretches, whether it's a few games here and there where maybe, you know, you have to deal with the guy being out or, or players not playing kind of up to, to what you expect. So, um, but whatever, we have plenty of time to worry about that later. <laughs> so the Bucks do finish up scrimmage play the next game we'll actually count the standings uh, i guess it depends how you're looking at this how much you're going to worry about a win or a loss in this game on friday against the celtics but uh for me I, i've thrown it out there I, I don't actually care about it but if they start to win a few games early it's going to be in the back of my mind i told you this frank they go seven and one they win 60 games in the short season that would be pretty cool we did learn last year that winning 60 games doesn't particularly mean anything of substance once you get to the postseason, though. But either way, the 53-12 and 12 record is going to change. After four months, over four-plus months, the standings are going to start to move around a little bit, which is pretty exciting. And it actually starts to mean something for this team as they gear up for the first round. So we've got three days until that game against the Celtics. We've got some fun stuff lined up for the podcast that we'll get to before then. But we thank everyone for listening. I hope you're staying safe out there. For Frank Madden and myself, Kane Pittman, we'll be back tomorrow.